Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast, Andre Gallagher, and of course, the sky is still falling on the Knicks because they lost to Boston. Who saw it coming? I don't know. Who saw it coming? Uh, I lost like two losses in a row, Milwaukee and Boston on the road. What? This team is trash. Boston's undefeated at home. They should have won. That's how some of you guys sound, but... Instead of focusing so much on the wins and the losses and, and the sky is falling mentality that seems, that seems to be pervasive. And the reason why that's the case in a nutshell is because there are a lot of Nick fans that really just want everybody fired because the team doesn't coach the way they want them coached or the team doesn't trade for the player they want them to trade for. So they don't root for the team anymore. They're rooting to be right. And I'm pretty sure I might have said that in the last show. I might have just said that ranting, raving, pacing in my house by myself. But they want to be right more than they want the team to win because they only want the team to win the way they want the team to win. Because if they don't win a championship, if it's not if it's not June and they're playing for the chip, then the winning doesn't matter because they've been conditioned for whatever reason to not appreciate the team's success if it's not high-end success. Like the Knicks have been in this place for decades. They have not been in this place for decades. They were a losing team for decades. And now they're building towards maybe winning something, but you're forgetting the building part. It's like it's like you you want to skip over the process and go right to the end. But the end is what you think the end is. When you When they get the player that you think they should have, and when they play the guy that they think you should play, then they've reached the end and a championship is going to be on the way. And if the players that you want to play don't play the way you want, then it's the coach's fault. That's how some of you guys sound. But here you are, the Knicks going to Boston, and you can put a little, I I got a little egg on my face. I've been saying for how long that the the Knicks issue is, is not defense, it's offense. And I can't help but have egg on my face after two terrible defensive outings. All right, how can you say it's offense? Even though some of you are still complaining about the offense and they're scoring 120 points and you guys are still complaining about the offense and it tells you how you're you're kind of in like a confirmation bias loop there where the offense is terrible, the offense is terrible, Jalen Brunson doesn't pass the ball and, and Julius Randle's this and blah, blah, blah. And you look up, there's 120 points on the board. You got to find something to complain about. So IQ's not getting enough shots, and this guy not. Oh, okay, all right. Because you have to complain about the coach, <laughs> no matter how you slice it. You got to complain about the coach, and of course, the offense can use some improvements. And I'm gonna go into that because I'm not happy with the offense either. 120 points. I'm still not happy. I'm, still, I'm not happy with it. But if they put 120 points on the board, that's not why they lost. Now, the Knicks weren't scoring 120 points when I said the problem was the offense before. They weren't scoring 120 points. It was scoring 110, you know, if that. All right. But now these last two games, and again, it was these last two games against two of the better teams in the league and two shooting centers who can also play defense. The Knicks defense has been the issue. But again, there's no there's no perspective here. Have some perspective. When you say Knicks can't beat good teams, they've lost five times to two of the best teams in the league. Okay. Let's, can we just chill on that? 
those teams are beating everybody else too. If you came into the season thinking the Knicks were going to be better than Milwaukee and Boston, you were bugging. And if you and if you want to die on this hill of they keep losing, they can't beat big uh, good teams. Well, they're a better team than they were last year, and they beat good teams last year. So why do you think that they can't beat good teams for the rest of the year this year with a better team? Now the logical answer would be, well, those teams, are, the good teams are better. Okay, so not every good team is better. <laughs> not every good team is better. But we knew the Eastern Conference was going to be better this year. At least I did. Anybody watching the league knew that. A lot of you don't watch the league. I get it. The Eastern Conference is going to be better. There was some question about whether or not Boston uh, was was going to actually be improved with the chances with the moves they made. There was some questions about Milwaukee, and those questions still exist because Milwaukee's not a great defensive team. And we talked about that at length. It's not a Milwaukee podcast, but it's, it's still, there's still some debate as to whether or not they upgraded by getting Dame and, and moving on from Drew. Right? And we talked about Miami before. You had no reason coming into the season to think Miami was going to be better than they were last year. And you had no reason to think they were going to be better than the Knicks. But a lot of people did. A lot of people thought that. Now, Miami's had a, a nice little start to the season. Could put some egg in my face with that team, too. But it's still too early to call that. There's no reason to think that Miami is a better team than the Knicks. And and if you're talking about Kenny Smith, Kenny Smith and those comments about, you know, when they played Miami, Jimmy Butler's a better. Is he? Jalen Brunson almost carried the Knicks to that to that victory in that series. Stop it. Stop it. Jimmy Jimmy is great. He's great. But you cannot definitively say that he's better than Jalen Brunson. It, when you start getting into debatable character comparisons, then you're not making your point anymore. It can't be debatable. The point he was trying to make is every time they step on the floor, they have the second best player. If it's a debate, then you're not making a point. These teams that have beaten the Knicks this week are some of the best teams in the league. And you should not have learned that they're not as good as them in these games. Last year, Boston went to the Eastern Conference Finals and almost got swept by the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat beat the Milwaukee Bucks. The Knicks whooped up on Boston all year last year. (laughs) What does that mean? Nothing. It meant nothing. It didn't even mean that if they played each other, it should not have told you that they were going to beat them. It shouldn't have told you just because the, the Knicks played Miami well and almost got run off the floor until they, they you know, they grabbed the reins and got themselves a, a chance to win game six and go to game seven, but they almost got run off the floor. So to put all this added weight on these matchups, in the regular season, like all you want to make a litmus test, you want to make it, you know, this this watershed moment where you learn that this team is not as good as Boston Celtics. Where have you been? Where have you been? They're not as good. Period. You should have been known that. I don't think the Knicks are going to lose to every good team. You're only going to call the teams that are are better than them. Good teams. And the teams that are not better than them, they're all bad teams. When they beat the Cavs, or Cavs, you know what? The Cavs are one of skeleton crew. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. But when you look at those teams, they're losing games too. The Knicks fell out of the fifth seed this week because they played Boston and Milwaukee and lost. They were the fifth seed. That means only four teams better than them. Two of them was Milwaukee and Boston, and the 76ers were one game ahead of them in the standings, and you guys can't get over yourselves because they lost those two games. It's silly. So let's get past that. 
and focus on what happened. We talked about Milwaukee, but let's talk about what happened in the Boston game. The shooting center is who can play defense is pure murderization for the Knicks in their scheme and Tibbs in their scheme. What I will say is they murderize everybody. The Boston Celtics, that five-man group, I know for a long time, I didn't check it before before the show, for a long time, that as a starting group, they were like number one in the league. That's some that's that lineup is a killer lineup for everyone. Not just the Knicks. Let's let's just say that first. Because some of you, you don't watch the rest of the league. That's what I keep saying. You don't watch the rest of the league, so you don't have perspective. You're a fan of your team. You're not a fan of the sport. If you're a fan of the sport, then you know that Boston is murdering everyone. And yes, they lost to the Pacers, but did KP play that game? No. Does that matter to any of you? This is not convenient to the story you want to tell. They Boston is murder with that lineup. You know what Boston's problem is going to be? is going to be depth. It's going to be their second unit, and their second unit has been playing well. All right? That's, that's going to be an injury. Because when they have KP, the way KP is playing, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to beat them if you need to stop them. The Knicks need to stop them to beat them, and they can't. Other teams may not need to stop them to beat them. And what I mean by that is, I'm just going to make up a scenario. If 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 you can present Boston with a a challenge defensively that produces good and easy shots for you. Then you can probably you might be able to beat Boston because they if they're gonna miss if they start missing shots, and you're getting consistent offense against them and they can't they have a matchup they can't stop or what have you, then you can beat Boston. But if your team is predicated on good defense and you need to stop the other team, and please follow what I'm saying because everybody needs to play defense. But if you need to stop the other team because you don't play with margin for error on offense because you don't have a high-powered offensive attack, you don't have matchups that you can get easy shots out of all the time, then you're not going to beat Boston because you're not going to be able to stop them consistently. They're going to make shots. They're going to miss shots. That's it. You're, they're going to get good shots every single time because of their personnel. Take take KP off the, uh, off the team, and that changes because now it's Hawford and it's Cornette. At the center position. It doesn't present the same firepower. At the center position. Alright. So KP is obviously. They're paying him $36 million a year. The extension they got, got him is $36 million a year. Obviously he's an important cog to what they do. So you take him off. They're not going to be as good. And the Pacers got a chance. They beat them. They played without KP. Don't compare the outcomes. You're not even comparing the personnel. Boston is without question and and we talked about KP as a potential get for the Knicks over the summer, and I was lukewarm on it because I wasn't sure about KP and his injury history, et cetera. And that still might come back and bite the Celtics. But KP, his actual gameplay was a li- wasn't this good. You know, it's easier when you're playing with great players, but it wasn't this good. It wasn't even this good in Dallas. And you saw his interview with JJ Redick. If you watched it and saw bits and pieces of it, he talked about a lot of things, including his time with the Knicks. He didn't have the mental uh, maturity when he played with Dallas. He said that, you know, he it seemed like being second fiddle to Luca and playing with Luca. You know, he wasn't he wasn't good with it. 
So maybe that affected how effective he was going to be on the court, obviously. Right? And they talked about some basketball stuff that really did. It really did affect how he played on, on the court because of his attitude towards, you know, how he was being coached and how the game was with Luka, et cetera. Now he's all in and he said that. And you're seeing him really be 100% okay with being, well, first of all, he's a much bigger part of the offense because they're running screen, high screen and roll with him all the time. But he's 100% okay with his role in this team. And you saw last night against the Knicks, you saw the Knicks struggle to match up. And he didn't have an outstanding game. You know, I think it was three or six from three, um, something like seven or 13 or something like that, 21 points, somewhere around there. Wasn't it? But he was he was the reason they got open shots because the Knicks were breaking. They were breaking their necks trying to stop him from being a, a, a sharpshooter from the three. They just couldn't handle it. And you saw them try different things. They tried to switch. And then KP posted up at the free throw line. He didn't try to get a guy deep into the post. They got him at the free throw line, which was easy for him to get in, uh, a, a nice little entry pass. He didn't try to drive to the basket. Most of the time, he turned and he shot over RJ. Just a real simple and easy thing. And those were kind of tough shots. And you could say, well, he's just shooting over a guy. He didn't have any balance. RJ was all over him. A lot of times when you're that close to a guy and he has to turn and shoot over you from that deep, it's usually not a great shot. And it was a real easy shot for him. So the Knicks tried different things against KP and he was still able to score and be a huge factor and a, a linchpin for their entire offense. And then give, give Missoula credit because he knew exactly. And I said this before, I said this before. Teams know exactly how to attack. Teams that keep playing the Knicks know exactly how to attack the Knicks defense. They knew their rotations. They knew how to. They knew how to get open shots. You saw some some uh, nice pick and roll actions where they came and screened the help, and they threw cross court passes, and the help couldn't get there because they were screening the help. The rotation. They knew exactly what to do to get the shots they wanted. They shot very well. They went cold in the second half, which is what kind of what the Knicks count on. They count on teams running out of gas because they're playing them physical. So you might get hot in the first half, but in the second half with all that physical defense, you know, your legs might might not be there with you. Uh, so they went cold a little bit in the second half, but the Knicks couldn't score enough. And again, that comes back to some of the offensive problems that the Knicks do have, that even though they scored 120 points, you know, and and I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth because I criticize the people that keep talking about the offense, but I will talk about some of the shaky aspects of the Knicks' offense uh, when it comes down to crunch time. Boston, but Boston was just excellent in every way. If the Knicks were able to get them to miss a shot, if they were able to rotate and, and get a guy to miss a shot, then they had another guy come in and get the offensive rebound. If, if uh, they got a guy forced to put the ball on the floor and penetrate. They knew exactly where the next shot was coming from. It was just play after play, and and they were attacking in different ways. You had Jason Tatum, who didn't have an outstanding game, but you knew, like, okay, Jason Tatum's on this screen. You know, if you go underneath, he's going to shoot it, right? But you got to be careful because if he stretches it out, you got to get back to KP. And it was a play where I think it was Derek White, you know, the Knicks miscommunication miscommunicated on the switch or the hedge and he got a layup because they were worried about KP getting the, the pick and pop. 
you know, they exposed all the Knicks' weaknesses defensively. Every last one of them. And, again, on offense for the Knicks, they're not able to establish things that create all of those, like, branches of offensive opportunities. They don't have that foundation where we're going to do this, and if you stop this, we're going to get this out of it. Because they pretty much do the same thing every single time, and that's high screen and roll or isolate uh, Jalen. It's not really an isolation because it comes off the screen and roll. It's kind of it's kind of um, an okey-doke when you look at the numbers, isolation numbers, because it doesn't end up being an isolation because it came off the screen, but a lot of times that's what it ends up being. And with Julius, you know, because he gets so many double teams, it's it's they're, they're, they're getting opportunities out of the double teams, but the Knicks don't shoot like other teams shoot. If you look at the Knicks shooting numbers, they're not as bad as a team they're bad, not great, but the individuals, they shoot good percentages. Because the reason why the team numbers are bad after a poor start, for, first of all, but two of the guys that get a lot of the threes, RJ and Randall, aren't hitting them at a high enough clip. And the guys who do shoot well from three don't get enough shots. And the Knicks aren't the type of shooters that other teams are. Other teams don't need to be wide open to shoot. They just need to be open. The Knicks need to be wide open to shoot. If they're not wide open, they don't shoot. And that hurts them. Because they, you can't keep up. The numbers don't add up. Right? And when the Knicks are wide open, they're not automatic enough. They're just not. It, you see, you saw, I forget what did Celtics start. They started off like 5, 6, or 6 from 3 or something like that. To start the game. How often do you see the Knicks do that? They can't keep up. They, the Knicks are a team that have to stop you defensively. And, and you hope they make plays down the stretch on offense. You know, they might be able to keep up on offense for, for three quarters or half or whatever. But when it comes down to it, you'll be able to stop what they're doing because their foundation is weak. They don't establish offense. They get hot, they get into a nice little rhythm doing what they're doing, but if you can stop the point of attack, you can stop a lot of what a lot of the other things that come from it. Whereas the Celtics, they had various points of attack. It could be Tatum, it could be Brown, it could be Derek, it could be Drew. You understand? And then with the mismatch with KP, double team, they got shooters all around. And that brings you to the next problem with the Knicks and the reason why they're they'll one of the reasons is the foundation of the offense, right? But the reason why that foundation is always shaky is because they don't have a shooting center. There's always no room at the rim. So you your help doesn't have to be as dramatic as the Knicks' help has to be when you spread the floor with five shooters. The, the help has to be dramatic. And that's why sometimes you'll say the Knicks are playing bad defense. When they're not playing bad defense... They're playing good defense, but it doesn't matter because it's almost impossible to guard five shooters on the floor and guard the point of attack. The Knicks don't have great individual defenders on that first unit. Even if they did, it would still be hard. But all you got to do is steal a few possessions or create a few misses. So if if Jalen was a better defender and RJ was a better defender, then yeah, you might be able to force a few more bad shots or force a few more uh, poor offensive sets. 
But when you have five shooters on the floor, all you got to do is get a step on your guy coming off that screen and everybody comes sucking in defensively and you spray it out and the guy, he doesn't have to be wide open to shoot. He just has to be a little bit open and he's going to put it up and then making it. Like, it's done. It's done. And the Knicks cannot keep up offensively throughout the course of a game because teams know you you keep trying to come into the basket and we got help here every single time because your center doesn't shoot and your center does not make plays outside of dunking the ball. And when Hartenstein was in the game last night, there were times where Hartenstein was open around the basket and it was almost like it was like a brain freeze where they it was they were thinking it was like Mitchell. And they weren't passing him the ball. And you forcing the ball at the front of the rim with a big man there when Hartenstein is like in the middle of the lane with an open opportunity, you should be passing him the ball so that he can get up a little floater or, or make something happen at the front of the rim. You got teams that are playing essentially a, a one-man zone at the front of the rim because of your personnel at the center position and how you use them. Some of that is personnel. Some of that is, is schematic. Hardenstein can hit threes. You got to start adding that to the offense, just like you got to start adding Quentin Grimes coming off screens to the offense, which they did yesterday. And, and not to mention Quentin Grimes finally got benched yesterday. And you guys think it was punishment because you were assholes. You think Quentin Grimes going to come out to the media. First of all, you shouldn't have done it. Don't go to the media in that situation. You lose a big in-season tournament game and you got one point or one shot, or whatever you ended up with. You had a, a bad offensive game, not a bad defensive game, but a bad offensive game, and you come out of this game complaining about your role in the offense to the media. That's a no-no, okay? But we've been talking about it, so outside of you know criticizing him for the timing, let's, let's talk about the merits of, of what he's talking about, right? And we've been talking about it. The ball doesn't. The ball does not find him enough, allowing him to do the things that he's good at. He's good at coming off screens. He's he can he he's not perfect, but the more he does it, the better he's going to be. Right? He's good coming off screens. You saw him screen and roll with Mitchell. He threw a pocket pass for a Mitchell layup. How often do you see people do that on the Knicks? Nobody does it on the Knicks. You know why? They can't. They don't know how. They don't know how. But one of the reasons why Quentin Grimes is good at it is because defenses aren't used to him doing it. And because he's a shooter, they're going to play closer to him off the screen. And also that screen wasn't a high screen and roll. It was on it was in the angle. It was on the angle. It was off the wing. Which I believe is harder to guard. Right? So you're coming you you know that he can shoot off that screen, so you gotta come up. And you may not be as practiced doing that on Quentin Grimes as you are Jalen Brunson or quickly on an R.J. Barrett. You don't know what Grimes is going to do. He might shoot this, but Grimes is a good enough passer to say, okay, I see that pocket, I'm going to throw it. All right? When when quickly comes off those screen and rolls, he's crab dribbling. He's trapping defenders looking, looking for uh, a floater. You know Brunson can find his shot. They, they very rarely find find Mitchell off those screen and rolls or Hartenstein off those screen and rolls and it's for various reasons some but some of it is their skill set as passers but some of it is also because they're not exploding off those screens and in a threatening way right 
with Grimes. Grimes didn't explode off that screen necessarily, but he was going to take that shot if you didn't step up. And when you stepped up, you opened up something for Mitchell, and he wasn't afraid to throw that pass. It wasn't. It, it was at the three-point line. It was a pocket pass from the wing at the three-point line. It was far from the basket. And not everybody passes to Mitchell in those situations. He passed it to him, and they got a layup out of it. You know, they ran it, I want to say, two or three more times. It wasn't necessarily successful, but you you need to see it. The more you see it from him, the more you'll get stuff out of him. He was very aggressive when he came off the bench. Aggressive shooting the ball. He drove the basket a little bit better. He didn't have great success every single time, but he's also playing a great defensive team. But you saw him be aggressive. You saw the ball find him and him make the mess the best of those of those opportunities. Some of the, obviously that was by design. Right? So you think he was benched out of retaliation and punishment, and then you watch the game and see him get more opportunities. How does that make sense to you? It was obvious to me as soon as Steve Popper of, of Newsday broke that story that they sat down and either looked at the film or just discussed it and realized, you know what, maybe you should go to the second unit and see, and let's see what happens. Are you good with that? And he, and he, and he was clearly, he said he was all for it. He said, you know, he thinks that was best. But y'all stuck because y'all hate Tibbs. Y'all want to make a punishment. And Tibbs is no good with, it's no good with, with, uh, young players. You've been trying to sabotage this kid, blah, blah. Meanwhile, the kid comes out as aggressive as he's ever been. And then y'all spin the story to be like, oh, that's him rebelling against Tibbs. Man, he could have rebelled the, the hell out of Tibbs in the starting lineup and did the same thing. All right. But the shots, there aren't going to be as many shots in the starting lineup. It's just not. And people use DiVincenzo's, I think he just had like two or three shots. They, they use that as an example of, oh, that's just like a black hole in the lineup. But y'all forget that DiVincenzo started twice before and scored over 20. That's what started the calls for him to start. Y'all, y'all just forgot already because he had an outstanding game starting alongside those guys. When Jalen Brunson doesn't have a great game, and we talked about this before, if Jalen Brunson's not going to play well, team's not going to win. Like it's a good team. You need to beat a good team. The Knicks need Jalen to play well. They need Julius to play well. And they need RJ or Quickly to play well. And one of those guys has to play outstanding. So you're talking about those guys' average game, and one guy has to be the 30-point guy, the 27-point guy, or the guy who's lights out to beat a good team. You can't have you can't have two or three of those guys not play well. It's just not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Because the Knicks don't get the baskets the other teams get. So they put Jalen Brown on Julius and didn't double team him a few times, and Julius settled for, you know, these fadeaway jump shots. That's just to me, man, that's just not gonna work. They put Jalen Brown on you. Then you don't, don't shoot fadeaway jump shots on a guy who's a, like two inches shorter than you but has great athletic ability. Don't do that. Don't do that. He's smaller than you. Make him pay. pay make him pay. You're not Porzingis. You're not 7'3", shooting over 6'8", six, 6'6". Six, six. Okay? Jalen Brown is what? He's listed at 6'7". He's probably 6'6". Six, six. You're 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, 
he can probably probably elevate higher than you can, and you don't elevate that much on your jump shot. So why would you settle for a fadeaway jump shot that, that doesn't even fool him? You didn't even fool him. The fact that you even want that shot pisses me off. And I understand that one of the reasons why why uh, Julius takes those shots is because of the spacing at the front of the rim. Don't forget that. But my problem with Julius is he doesn't have the wide he doesn't have a wide enough array of shots around the front of the rim to take advantage of having a smaller player on him. The shots that you see RJ taking, those little floaters, and sometimes they're like fade-back floaters, one-hand push shots. I shouldn't say floaters. One-hand push shots. Those are shots that Julius needs to have. He needs to have those same shots because those are the kind of shots that you need when there's a big man standing in front of the rim all the time. And there was one play that really pissed me off with Julius it wasn't it was a, a crowded it was a again crowded lane RJ drove it was a bunch of people in the lane Julius cut it was a good cut RJ passing the ball but it wasn't really open in there and Julius went up he had a double clutch and he double clutched and brought the ball back down almost to his to to the side of his head in his left hand and Derek White came behind him and blocked that shot and what pissed me off about that shot is you should be extending to the basket. <laughs> how often you see... Um, listen, LeBron James, one of the greatest players, maybe not the best example. But how often you see LeBron James driving to the basket, going forward to the rim, catch the ball, take his two steps, go up, and double clutch and bring the ball down to the side side of his head. Like When he caught that ball, he should have extended to the rim right away. Either right hand or left hand. All right, if he was going to switch hands and bring it to the middle or throw it high off the glass, lay it up high off the glass, he didn't need to double clutch in that situation. He just needed to go up. How often do you see Le- how often do you see Julius Randle take his steps to the basket and extend with one hand and lay it in? How often do you see? It? You don't see you see it on a fast break sometimes. You, how often do you see him do that? You know, what what else could you do in this situation? That could be more efficient. And when in, when Boston has a mismatch, whether it be Jalen Brown having... Jalen Brown, he sees Quentin Grimes, he goes at him. As much as we speak about his defense, it's because Quentin Grimes is too small for him. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are one of the reasons why the Knicks need a, a, a bigger wing in a row. Whether it be in the rotation or just having a weapon off the bench. He's, he's one of the reasons he's too big for the guards. Okay, but when they have smaller people on them, they know how to attack those smaller people and get good shots for them. The Knicks, when they have mismatches, when there's a mismatch on Randall, he's not always taking the best shot on that mismatch. You should be going, getting five feet in front of the rim, five to seven feet in front of the rim at at, at worst, and shooting over that guy, not fading off on the, in the baseline without any kind of deception. Not fading off. Get to the middle of the paint. That's a good shot for you. And you should be and you should be having a little push shot and little half hooks and stuff like that when you have smaller players. That's an advantage when a smaller player is on you. But it's not an advantage for the Knicks because we get bad shots out of him sometimes when he does it. So the, listen. We'll keep we'll keep talking about it. We're gonna end this show. Knicks play Toronto uh in a day or so. We'll see how they, it's, a, it's again, it's a tough matchup for them because 
I and I always say this. I hate when the Knicks play some a team that close together, a team that has defensive potential close together, because I know that all they need to do is adjust a few things and they can shut the Knicks down most of the time. And now Jalen Brunson's not shooting the three ball very well. So you don't have the hero Jalen Brunson to save you. R.J. Barrett is still kind of shaking on his shot. It's been a couple weeks now. You're not seeing quickly step up to be a hero. The only bright side to me is you're seeing Julius, you know, continue to be more efficient. Even though I sat here and criticized some of his shot selections, he's still going to be who he is. But he's being, he's continues to be more efficient after a slow start to the season. Uh, you don't see quickly be the hero that you need him to be coming off the bench. You know, there's still a change that they made in the starting lineup that has the potential of giving a different look to a team that they may have played recently. I have a lot of confidence confidence in Dante. Uh, I was a little shaky at first, and then I remembered how he performed when he started before. And seeing him with just getting a couple shots and being efficient with a couple shots he he had against one of the better uh, defensive teams in the league, as long as his mindset is positive and confident, then I feel confident that he's going to give the Knicks what they need at that spot. I think the Knicks are going to turn it around eventually and get back on track. You hate to see bad habits form, a lack of confidence in what you're doing start because the Knicks don't have that margin for error right now. Follow at Sports Ethos, at Ethos Knicks. Until next time. <laughs>